Hi, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with one of the smartest and most talented accountants I've ever met. He has a fascinating history growing up in South Africa and undertaking a mechanical engineering degree before switching to, of all things, and given the name of this podcast, probably no surprise to you, accounting. He now resides in Toronto, Canada, and I, for one, miss our catch-ups over breakfast discussing all things Commonwealth, accounting technology, and the Maple Leafs. It is an honour today to speak with the CEO and partner of Toronto-based accounting firm Fuller Landau, Oren Gobrin. Oren, it's so wonderful to see you. We, uh, we we miss hanging out in in Ontario. I think the last time was uh, well, just pre-virus, wasn't it? Probably January, I think January twenty twenty. Was it not? I think that's about right. I think that's right. It seems like millennia. Yes, yeah, so much has changed. We left that uh, lovely breakfast, and um, the world changed not not that long afterwards. <laughs> Not not because of the breakfast, I'm sure. You don't, I hope not. <laughs> I don't think it was us. <laughs> yeah, that that re- rewrite history. Uh, you know, COVID variants. You know, uh, commences at the what was the hotel the 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 Shangri La in in Toronto <laughs> due to scrambled eggs. I don't think that's that's that was likely. <laughs> Certainly, an alternative theory. That's right. That's right. Tell us a little bit about how you uh, came to accounting, perhaps even came to Canada even. Let's let's talk a bit about that because you've had a very, very interesting journey. Taking me down memory, memory <laughs> land now, it's been certainly years. Interesting, I don't know, think a lot of my colleagues know, but I didn't train as an accountant. I actually trained uh, as a mechanical engineer at uh, the University of Cape Town in South Africa, if the accent wasn't obvious. <laughs> and um, interesting, as part of that program, you had to do a, a certain amount of practical training every summer to graduate. And I was assigned to, of all places, a nuclear power station just outside Cape Town and had a lot of fun. You're not too much, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Well, not too much, but no, it was, it, was, it was one of the more innovative technologies in South Africa at the time. So the quality of engine working around was really good with some interesting people. And in my fourth year of the training, I was put into sort of under the supervision of one of the plant managers. He looked at me one day and he said, you know, you're wasting your time with engineering. Oh. I said, oh, really? That's that's interesting given that I'm just about to graduate. Yeah, thanks. thanks. You could have said this a couple of years ago. <laughs> Matt mentioned this a couple of years ago. And you, you realize that in South Africa, we're doing very, very little original engineering. So if you're going to be an engineer in South Africa, the ultimate route is through some sort of business training degree into a management role. So why don't you just consider fast-tracking that and hopping onto that bandwagon? And the university at the time had just launched, or was in the third or fourth year of having launched a bridging course for non-accountants into a sort of more accounting track. 
I thought about it for a while. It was pretty intense because that condensed a bachelor of commerce degree into eight months. And then you had to do additional qualifications for the accounting track. But it seemed like fun. And it was also a bunch of smart people who were taking it. So I jumped onto that bandwagon, promising myself that there was just a detour. My love was engineering and I would get back into engineering and um, still waiting to get back into engineering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You haven't pulled out the the CAD drawings for and done a renovation at the house or anything lately? <laughs> Not lately. And in fact, when I did, we were still drafting by hand and by pencil. So it gives you a step. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Some of the time. Yeah, there was CAD. It was early days. Do you miss the, the mechanical aspects or the, I guess, the, or, or do you do you see the similarities and, and revel in those? <laughs> I've always made a point of trying to celebrate that skill set. You know, my accounting career took me through the banks. So I was doing a lot of high-end financial modeling on on some of that instrumentation. And then more recently, my career into business valuations. And I've always felt that regardless of where you are on the more complex end of accounting, a solid science or mathematics training is really a powerful tool to have in your skill set. And we may get into this later, but if you start to think about where we've naturally drifted, I couldn't have imagined this many years ago when I started on this path. But more and more of the tools that we're seeing on a technology front have an underlayment which is algorithmic in nature. And if you want to start to get a sense of either that algorithm or the nature of risk, which is a bigger, bigger topic within the accounting world, the way to develop that sensitivity is through mathematics and technology training, not through the traditional accounting route. No, completely. And how, how do you, how does this come up in the day to day? Do you do you see this, or do you think about this in in running a, a large accounting business in Toronto, or is this sort of something that you? you know, it still feels a little bit out of reach of, of the graduate accountant today. <laughs> you know, for me, it's become a lens through which I look at the world. And to some extent, I think I've become a little numb to it. And in fact, it's helpful some people point that out to me because that can also become a blind spot. <laughs> your, em- your empathy is, is, is stuck in the CAD drawings. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> You may want to dial up the EQ a little bit more and uh, dial down the IQ a little bit. Oh, there you go. That's that's a good bit of self-awareness. <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, I think on the one hand, it's it sort of allowed me to keep pace with where developments have gone. But on the other hand, genuinely, I've had to at times keep it in check because we are very much a people's business. And as a people's business, it can't be that formulaic, it can't be that structured, it can't be that templatized. So it doesn't come down to an Excel spreadsheet. It's a lot more subtle than that. So there, there are positives and the negatives. What what happened to the to that nuclear power plant? Is it still going? I, I just got this image of of the you know Springfield in my head about Oren working at a at a power plant as a as a, a yet to be graduate. <laughs> it's almost like our, our breakfast that sort of sparked the unintended consequences. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, nuclear nuclear is still a favoured technology across the world, and it's still a big source of power in South Africa. So um, I was there at a good time. Maybe in your next life you can we can do some wind and solar grid. Solar, yeah. There's 
plenty of warmth in the earth to come over the next uh, couple of generations by the looks. <laughs> yeah, we have a big responsibility on our shoulders. We can't mess this up. Oh, we're, we're giving it our best shot, I think, this generation, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try and do better. You and I will try and do better. <laughs> Based in Toronto and, and Canada's done a pretty good job with relative to the rest of the world with keeping its citizens alive and uh, you know, m- managing the virus as best it can. What, what's your sort of thoughts on, you know, with the lens of your client base and how they've sort of fared and how, how your firm has fared through COVID? Yeah, I think your, your starting point is right. The, the Canadian lens is an important one because the, we manage upside and downside very well. You know, we don't run too fast. We don't run too slow. So it was a, a long and thoughtful closure. The opening up has been much slower than many other regions, which for some has been frustrating. And it does have its challenges, the social challenges, the, the containment challenges, the family challenges. But on the other hand, it, it has been a lot more metered. And I think uh, the two contributing factors that have generally allowed us to, for, our, for us and our clients to continue to do well, not in all cases, but in many cases, the one is the, the thoughtfulness of the process. So it has been a thoughtful process. And the governments have been supportive and there have been a number of programs, as in other jurisdictions, that have allowed things to continue. So just by way of anecdote, I was chatting to our members of our insolvency practice recently because you would have expected either on a personal level or on a corporate level that that should be some sort of bellwether of yes yes it usually is right <laughs> to, to recessions and the likes <laughs> yeah so as a, as a leading indicator that light is not burning brightly at all and the expectation is still that there's sufficient dry powder in the system that's allowed some sort of maintenance i think maybe australia is is sort of uh borrowed from the next generation in its in its economic it's bought for debt essentially to support the current environment and it's you know really struggling now with you know its lack of vaccination and and its complacency and and sort of perhaps a, a misguided thought that you can keep the virus out of a country like Australia I mean I think the world's just got to live got to learn to live with the virus that's going to be with us do you think that uh, Canadian policies have, have sort of gone down? Are we just are we just sort of, you know, artificially inflating the economy at the moment with with stimulus, or are we sort of managing that a bit better? I'm not. I'm not sure that anybody's figured it out amazingly. So I think across so many verticals, whether it's economic, medical, social, the responses have been reactive necessarily so but they have been reactive and the ability to really forecast longer term and try and understand where this all goes is limited so I I think we'll all live and learn and we'll all be having a very different conversation certainly five years from now but I think even in a much shorter duration we'll be having very different conversations I do think though to that point is that what we have seen and I think businesses are intimately aware of that is the way I phrase it is volatility has become the new normal. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? (laughs) There's a sort of language out there as if we're going through something and there's sunshine on the other side. And I I think it's important as humans to live with that element of hope. But there's also the reality of the level of volatility is just a lot higher. And we, we need to constantly be an environment that's 
responsive, well, I should say first, open to acknowledging and then responsively responsive to a changing environment. Yeah, well, I think if if any industry is going to grow over the next decade or generation, it's therapy. <laughs> Raising a, a generation of kids that are, haven't been socialised, that are, you know, go to school with masks, that have that are stuck inside from climate change. That are, if it's it's an incredible sort of uh, transitional period for the human species. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I don't think we've even begun to appreciate because we're not even at a point where we're sufficiently out of it, whatever that means, to start assessing what the impact has been on mental health, on social well-being. And, you know, certainly when you talk about those with young children who, who are living this at the moment and trying to project what their familiar life will look like down the road, the same is true for corporate life where young intake of people over the last 18 months has been in, under these conditions, I expect that corporate cultures will will forcefully, whether in a managed sense or because it's imposed on them, have to try and, some, and somehow rethink their operations. And a lot of the, the givens, the social givens, the, the social contracts of yesteryear are going to be challenged. The will of the, the, the corporate or the, I guess, the will of the people in the corporate are going to expect more, right? Like, you know, the corporate is not only sort of, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, net net carbon emission zero, but, you know, there's the, the rise of the B Corp and all kinds of things where, well, perhaps younger generation, but at least the more uh, openly minded generation, at least the perhaps the more considered generation are going to ask ask for more and, and expect more of their of their employers. Yeah, on that point, you know, we're going through as a firm, we're leading the firm through an exercise of spending the remainder of the year working through what a hybrid model would look like for our firm. We've declared a hybrid model as a working, as a functional operational model. And we're not assuming anything. We're now pushing it down to the individual groups to explore that, ideate among themselves and start gathering ideas and see what that means. And as we've rolled it out at the launch, I said to, to the firm, first of all, we have to realize that this is net new. So yeah, they're, they're holy cows that are going to get slaughtered, but you have to make sure that we're replacing it with something. So be open to thinking about that and know that we're not figuring this out in the first go around. Like everybody else, we're iterating. I think some of what's driven us, and this is a little bit of a divide between Canada and the US, that's driven us there to go to this level of exercise is the level of employee versus corporate centricity of where the center of gravity is in corporate life. <laughs> where the pendulum sits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Canada, certainly there's an awareness that this is a lot more collaborative and the oldest structures of corporate dictate are a lot less muted. When I talk to colleagues in the US, it's still very corporate-centric. This is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do that. In Canada, we've had to shift gears to something that's a lot more collaborative. You know, things like trust and roles and accountability is part of the language that needs to be explored at much greater depth uh, than we traditionally used to do it if we're going to figure out how to, get, how, to, how to work beyond this. I think it may be breaking down a little bit here, but but certainly not as much as as the typical Commonwealth countries. I mean, Australia's sort of you know, she'd be right, mate. And uh, Canada's 
yeah, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> eh? <laughs> but, you know, the Apples and the Googles were still trying to dictate return to work, you know, policies not that long ago. And I, th- I think they're slowly sort of giving up. You see articles about it, you know, Apple being the, the most secretive company in the world. And all of a sudden they've got Slack channels that are, that are getting out into the public domain and, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe ever so slowly that that, that pendulum is, is starting to swing a bit in the US as well and particularly in the highly paid jobs. I, you know, I realise that that's a little bit of a, that's perhaps not normal and the, the Midwest and the central of the country is, is a different story again. And it's not clear where that equilibrium ever settles properly. It's still hard to say how much of that is really big city centric and how much of that will drift into the periphery. How do you score Fuller Landau in its in its uh, capacity to sort of you know cope with all these change and uh, and come out with a hybrid model that's going to work and and you know perhaps if ever normality is restored, what what does that look like? That question is the heart of this next initiative. We, we like to all believe that we, we're coming to this with good intentions. I think the fact that we're there with a plan and thinking about it and have got a formal process in place puts us in a good position to at least work through the issues, think about them, float them, potentially respond to them. But I, like everyone else, the experience of remote work has left for some nostalgia for others scars and the question of how to integrate all of that you know i have partners who just love the idea of remote work they're incredibly productive but they also recognize the fact that we're a people business at heart and some of the human connective tissue has been lacking over the last number of months and there are those who sort of just want to say this was a big nightmare and uh, <laughs> give me my desk back. <laughs> give me my desk back. Somebody put my coffee on my desk, shop on That's my desk. Right. And oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> a maple syrup glazed donut every morning. On oh, stop it. Stop it. I think Toronto's opened up to US vaccinated people. So maybe we'll, we, can, we can come up and, and get that maple syrup glazed donut. Absolutely. It's on me. <laughs> I hope it's not lost on the audience that the American voice is being presented by an Australian and a Canadian. Yes. <laughs> what kind of world are we living in? Well, a, a transient one, that's for sure. And combined with the Commonwealth aspects too, of course, yeah. is, is, another, is another layer. But, um, well, speaking of which, how, how did you end up from, in Canada from South Africa? You you shut the door on the nuclear power plant. You let that sort of uh, uh, to others to, to hopefully um, <laughs> continue to supply the generation of, of nuclear energy. Went to the dark side, did an accounting masters. What, what were the, the motivations to, uh, to leave South Africa and, and was Canada always on the horizon or, or was, was that something else? It's far less strategic and less romantic than you can imagine. I'd like to believe that everything was directed and purposeful. There was a, an amazing Canadian woman that you... <laughs> that, that story would also have been good, but that's also not a story. It's a lot more prosaic and, and almost political in nature. As I was finishing my accounting articles at Deloitte, or it was Deloitte and Touche back then in South Africa, we were in the late 90s. South Africa just transitioned to the ANC government. Mandela had taken power. Johannesburg was a particularly violent city. Uh, everybody feared for their for their own well-being. My wife and I, we were recently married, decided that 
you know, seeding ourselves here of the long term made very little sense. So we did what every South African did is we took a globe and we pulled up all the countries that weren't English speaking and we spun the globe and up came Australia. So we thought, yeah, that's a good destination. There are lots of South Africans in Australia. And I actually knew someone who was quite interested in offering me a job. Especially in Perth. This <laughs> is basically jo- jo- little Johannesburg over there. <laughs> and then my in-laws decided to leave South Africa and said, uh, yeah, I think we'll do the U.S. So we looked at each other and we said, well, Australia, U.S., that's quite a distance. Why don't we just figure North America as a better option? So with my South African designation, Canada was just a much more natural choice in conversion, converting a designation. and through through Deloitte, there was a much more fluid connection. Ironically, I never landed up at Deloitte in, in, in Toronto. I landed up at Arthur Anderson. Arthur Anderson at the time had a very strong banking division, and I'd done a lot of my training in the banks in South Africa. So they were happy to accommodate this new refugee. <laughs> That's how I landed in, in Canada and started my career in accounting. Any regrets? Do you go? Do you, you still got family in South Africa? Do you head back? I mean, the changes over the last 20, 30 years would be just enormous, right? Astounding. Um, you know, over the years, everyone trickled out. So most most of our family found new destination. As I mentioned, the US, a whole bunch went to Israel. So they scattered across the globe. And you know, I haven't been back on many occasions because a lot of a lot of family had left. But on occasions, I have been back. Yes, dramatic change and and some of it amazingly positive. I just I always still think about South Africa in two amazing senses. One is just the enormity of the nature of the place. It still holds me over every time I go where I, I don't seem to be able to replace that anywhere else in the world other than Africa. And the second is the resilience of the people. You know, it, people are put through a challenging life and yet know how to smile and know how to celebrate, no matter how hard how hard things are. There's, there's this eternal optimism. So yeah, there have been challenges and South Africa's struggled with growing population as a function of illegal immigration. So there are elements that what used to be political crime have now replaced themselves with just raw, raw basic crime and, and affect corruption across the board at all levels of industry. So in that sense, yes, it's a difficult place. But it is still a place that that um, that continues to develop and continues to innovate. A lot of countries have had dramatic histories, but but not as not so much as recently as South Africa, right? There's you know the political history is still pretty raw for a lot of people, I'm sure. Toronto is now home. What um, and tell us a little bit about the background of Floor Landau and you know how uh, how that came about and and where you're up to today and sort of people and the types of clients that you serve and give us the spiel. You know, once I landed in Canada, I um, I had a couple of other iterations. I spent some time in industry during the, the tech bubble of the early 2000s and then found my way into business valuations. Did a long stint in a business valuation boutique focused ma- mainly on, on sort of transactional work, which was eventually acquired by a public company. And I decided that the public company was life or large, large enterprise at that stage wasn't where I wanted to be. And the full opportunity opened itself up to me around uh, just over five years ago. I was at a point where I was looking to return to the mid-market and also looking for a platform on which I could, beyond just the business valuation, do other stuff. 
the firm was at a point where it would reach a level of growth that it was thinking about the next iteration and its next level of maturity. And as I blended in initially, purely as a um, as a business valuations partner, I started to take on more of a a role in terms of guiding the change into the next iteration. And that that sort of led to a management restructuring and a, and a more, I'd say, a more formalization of the of the partnership model. Not that we don't still function as a partnership. We very much do. But we put those pieces in place. You start to see at an organization of our size, we're 150 people. You know, we're a $25 million plus enterprise, just over 20 partners. So we needed that level of enterprise. And it just so happened to coincide with, at least from a Canada perspective, the emergence of technology as a much more pronounced footprint in the accounting space. The SaaS products were, uh, were already in place. Cloud firms had started to establish themselves on the horizon. We could already start to articulate what this animal looked like. So the server was starting to ride off into the sunset. <laughs> somewhat. I mean, it is that, but it's, I, I was, I think as much as I was interested in the technology, I was interested in the mindset that I was seeing as a change. And the curiosity was to what extent does this edge element percolate back into mainstream accounting? And it's still a relevant question. So with that in mind, um, we created an opportunity where I, t- I took on more of an operational role. My title is COO, but you know, my focus has largely been around th- that digital transformation of the business and thinking about both the, the business model and then how technology integrates with that. That sort of started to take much more of my time, and I, I balanced the business valuation practice with the operational practice and built a technology team, many of which you've met and know well, and with them started to serve clients. So what started as an internal journey very quickly became an, a revenue opportunity, and we started Fuller Digital, which is a um, technology consulting practice, mainly for the mid-market to help businesses with legacy systems and legacy processes start thinking about how to go through their own maturation process and how to transform. So I find myself today kind of balancing those three at different different times in the year with more emphasis on one and less on the other, but I still continue with, with the business valuations practice. I'm involved in um, the operations of the firm. The technology as uh, element of it has, has enjoyed a two-year fairly rapid growth curve, which we now, you know, the, the rate of change on that curve has slowed down. But thankfully, COVID has kept me busy. So what, whatever I've gained on the technology side, we now deal with remote work and return to work policies and hybrid work and vaccinations. And it, it's allowed for that plethora of issues to bubble up to the fore. And just on the fuller digital aspect, I mean, Canada's been reasonably progressive in the industry with, with its technology adoption. It's uh reduction of server use, its view of the world that, that, you know, accounts should be not just a, you know, 90-day-after-the-fact contribution to business but a, and a capacity to sort of integrate, you know, the important bits of data in a business and, and be able to forecast and look forward and, and be able to schedule and, and do some capacity planning about what, you know, what the, what the operation might look like in a month, in a year, and in five years, or whatever it might be, whatever you know, whatever whatever is important to that to, to that client. Do you agree with that? And and uh, how do you sort of compare Canada with the rest of you know sort of the Western speaking world in in technology adoption in the accounting industry? And 
And what's next? What do you look forward to for Fuller Digital? I absolutely do agree with that, but but it would be remiss not to sort of tip my hat to to your hometown. I mean, Australia has been years ahead of that. Elements of Europe have also uh, accelerated that. Although I think Canada can hold itself fairly proud. Part of that, I think you, a commonality among these jurisdictions is the centrality of banking compared to the U.S. So the ability to get the banks on side with digital feeds, because without those digital feeds, without properly integrating that so that the data is clean, recognizable, predictable, usable. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. That's that's what keeps you up at night. But for the general audience, I think that's what we've benefited in Canada is having a banking system that's been cautious and perhaps not as quick to the game as places like New Zealand and Australia, but nevertheless has come to the game and allowed that connectivity, which has allowed core infrastructure like Intuit and and Xero to to build products around that, on which then you now have a solid base where you can start extending both the integration back into the business and the second level or the second layer of tooling, which either provides for automation or prediction. Both those elements work well, but you need that underlayment. So I think we have... We have that are we getting there in the short term in Canada? Yeah, it, it helps. I mean, the, just the number of banks in in the US makes all that sort of progress quite difficult and, and the reliance on checks <laughs> as well, which uh, I hadn't seen a check in uh, what nearly in my life before I arrived here. It's, it's extraordinary. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's basically four banks in Aussie. There's basically three in New Zealand and there's basically about 5,500 in the US. It's just... You know, but slowly, you know, technologies like Plaid and Yodely before it helped that progression. But, you know, it's, it's getting there. I think, you know, we, we've definitely experienced huge uplift in, in interest in carbons over, through COVID and not that I wish a pandemic on the world to, to serve my business. And, and I, but, uh, you know, it's, sometimes you need forcing functions to move things along. There's, there's always some kind of generational change that occurs more than once in a generation, quite often. What, um, in terms of your mid-market consulting, then do you do you see the same trend? Is do your clients have a pretty positive position on technology and, and being able to operationalize their business with with you know fo- focus on the people adding value rather than the machines driving the business rather than the opposite? By and large, I think the answer is yes. You know, we're still in the pandemic in a sense, so they're two sort of sound bites that that seem to recur. And just for context, a lot of our clients are in the on the people business, less on the sort of heavy manufacturing or third-party logistic kind of businesses, but on the people side of businesses. So there's there's that blend of the urgency of updating systems where legacy still prevails and has created pain points of friction in the operations for these businesses. But there's also an acute awareness of, of how do we make this work from a people point of view. We don't want much of the same. We, we know that we have tools to connect, but we also know where those tools have failed us in the last while. You know, as recently as this morning, we were debriefing with one of our clients who's also expressed a desire to become more mobile. And a lot of personal client information for them is critical. So they've spent a lot of time building appropriate walls around their data and allowing for remote access, but they're also acutely aware of the distance it's created for their people. So some of the discussion, not all, 
But some of the discussion does come back to that cultural element of the blend of people versus technology, technology versus people, and not sort of net one. So, so we're acutely aware of that, and and the, any discussion has to sort of manage the technology piece. But technology, as you and I have shared before, technology is an enabler of something. What are you enabling? What process? What vision? What action? Uh, what strategy are you enabling? And what is the people component within that? So. We need to keep those in check at all time. It's fascinating how, you know, your journey and everything. One little known fact about you, Oren, I believe, and if my research is, well, wonderful researchers are correct, you, you've actually provided legal evidence or expertise in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. Is that right? That is right. That is right. It's, I'll get back to that in a moment. But as you were, that little preamble, I'm kind of going through my mental map going, what did he dig up? <laughs> what, what has he done? <laughs> but yes, you know, my evaluation, my evaluation work occasionally involves expert evidence work, which we avoid court at all costs, but sometimes that is the ultimate destination. So I've had the privilege of being cross-examined on my work in, uh, in Ontario courts. What happened? What, how, what was that experience like? Stuart, I think it's a, it's a life passage that every leader needs to go through. I think until you've been cross-examined, you haven't lived. <laughs> what, not just at home? <laughs> yes, not just at home. 2 a.m. after a big night. <laughs> you can't just walk into a room and slam the door. And... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, I always tell those that I work with in the, in the, um, on the valuation side, that and it's true in anything. It's not just true in in that specific work. Is the, the wonderful thing about cross examination is it actually it sensitizes you to a level of exactitude, which really drives up your professionalism. Now, business leaders get that anyway, in a sense, because they challenged all the time and their decisions are challenged. And you learn once you sort of once or twice, you know, you, you've been cut a couple of times to to get that level of of articulation right. In a court setting, it's just a lot more formalized. It's a lot more structured and, you know, there's a certain etiquette and you know the dance, you've got to do the dance. Yeah, it's intimidating, isn't it, walking into those, you know, very, very traditional structures built by our forefathers and all of that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's a lot. <laughs> there's something about a courtroom, for those who've never experienced it, that is is truly, I can't necessarily find a single word, but it's grounding and it's humbling. You, you suddenly realize you're in an institution that's larger than you. And no matter what you thought before you walked through those doors, the minute you're in that context, the setting is there, the judge is at the desk, you're sworn in. For most people, it's, yes, intimidating is a word, but I think it's it's awesome in the traditional use of the word, not in the modern vernacular. It's it's sort of the, the awesomeness of the experience is, is, is palpable. So, so something for your graduates to aspire to perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. What's on the horizon for Fuller Lander? You're very well established in uh, Ontario and and growing very nicely. Is, is is there perhaps some international expansion or or provincial expansion in in your mind? What um after well, you know, get through covid first and all of that, but uh what, what are your hopes and dreams? Well, as a, as a firm, and certainly, you know, I align myself with, with where the firm is at. We're obviously growth focused. It's 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 a natural embedded element of business operations today. 
But I'd say we're cautious about growth. Um, the mint market is an interesting place in, in, in Canada and certainly in Ontario. You know, we're, we're among a few colleagues in terms of the size. There are, there are a couple who are much, much larger and a couple that are smaller. And there are benefits and the, and the detracts to that. You know, we're, we're, the benefit clearly is that we're large enough to have brand recognition and product diversity. So we can be a lot of things. And I think we have a fairly robust portfolio of products today. And you, you know, many of those. So in that sense, we're not necessarily looking to expand the, the product offering. I think the only area we, we've had conscious thrust over the last number of months is to integrate more and more technology consulting into the business. That is an area which I think today for accounting businesses is not a nice to have. The line between technology and business is disappeared. Technology is a C-level function that needs to be at the strategy table. And if that's true for business, it has to be true for accounting firms because what we the advice we provide our clients as business advisors needs to have a technology lens through it. Now, exactly what that technology lens is, I think, is an interesting discussion. We need to become better technologists as general business advisors. Yes, there's specialty areas which are relevant. You know, cybersecurity is completely relevant. You know, business intelligence is completely relevant. But but it's important to recognize what the market needs, but also guide the market in where it needs to blend those two. And as I was saying earlier, that, that balance between accessing technology talent that the mid-market struggles with because there simply isn't enough C-level talent in the market to hire, even if you could justify the cost and even if you could justify a full-time job, which many of them cannot, is still a struggle because, because you just don't, there's no way to go. There's no way to access that. But I think if there's one way, place for us to think about in terms of a growth area, it's a changing the culture in the firm to become more aligned with that. That doesn't mean diluting anything else we do. We're still auditors. We still provide tax services. We still provide M&A. We still provide family office services. But but to do that with a sense of the client relationship through a digital lens is 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 something that we'll layer on slowly with time, responsibly and slowly. And it's it's going to demand cultural changes as well. You know, if we look at the the intake of um, talent into the firm, we've diversified in some areas. Uh, I mean, you know, we have a data analyst on our team, which is unusual for uh, firms of our size. You know, it needs to be done slowly with time because the traditional model doesn't fully absorb all of that yet. So if I think about the, you know, where your question started, where, where does this go? That sort of gives you a lens of where we're going, but also where the industry is going. With time, the small, as businesses demand more and more of this, I think the long tail of the accounting industry is going to struggle against delivering it. It's going to struggle delivering against that. Can you see a day where you're uh, recruiting, you know, computer science students or uh, or business analysts or, you know, a, a technology-heavy <laughs> degree set over, you know, traditional business or accounting students? There's a scenario in which that happens as a transitional element to the industry I'd like to believe that the industry is as alive to this issue as we as practitioners are, and that what the what the industries, what the educational elements of the industry with time are going to serve up is a more blended or expanded candidate that's seen these elements of the well and with time having come through those those areas and trained it. But certainly, you know, that's not tomorrow. That's not three or five years away. That could be a longer, a longer term reality. So how does one bridge that in the interim? Yeah, I think the, 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 the need to kind of 
full for skill sets is going to be an interesting an interesting question for the industry. In, in fact, I was chatting to someone in, in, in the space who recruits in this space and started to think about how you differentiate role-based hiring from skill-based hiring. How do we start looking for candidates who have a collection of skills as opposed to a specific title fit for a role? Now, that's that's an easy thing to have over a glass of wine as a discussion. It's quite difficult <laughs> to try and execute against. To, to try and find an accounting comp size student <laughs> with, with, with 20 years' experience. <laughs> that's right. And, and pay them 50 cents, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Give them 45 grand a year. <laughs> Hey, look, Oren, we'll start to leave it there. But, you know, personally and, and on behalf of all of all of us at Carbon, you know, we're, we're thrilled to have Fuller Landau as a, as a pioneering customer and client of ours and, you know, one that has provided a huge amount of support over the years. And, you know, I value our relationship very highly and, and I, miss those, uh, I miss those trips to Toronto where we can catch up in person and, and hopefully uh, we can do it again soon. But, um, you know, th- thank you so much for your time and and thank you for for all your support over the years. It's hugely appreciated and highly valued. Stuart, I'd like to reciprocate in the sense then and for your audience's purposes is that we, when when we started our digital journey, and you know the story, we, we looked long and hard at what our backbone would be and we knew workflow was going to be our backbone. And we looked at a number of options and and, and we chose Carbon because we truly believe in partnerships and not in service providers. You know, it can't be more true that that's lived up to everything as advertised from the support to the genuineness down to these kind of conversations, which don't happen on camera and on mic, happen on a regular basis off camera in the privacy of private calls. And that's rare. It's rare. So the feeling is mutual and we're delighted to have partners like you. We thank you so much for your time and, and all your support. And uh, we look forward to, you know, continuing to expand the product in the directions that, that you've encouraged us to go and, uh, you know, continue to be those partners for you and, and help you grow and help your clients succeed. That's that's what we love doing. And, and I know you get a lot of genuine satisfaction out of that as well. Absolutely. Amazing. And hopefully we'll, we'll share a glazed donut in Toronto soon. I can't wait. Rita, you're invited too. <laughs> Thank you, Or Hugely appreciated. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com slash resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.